welcome back to another episode of the Arts Block Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Curry III, and today we got an artist, a rapper, a saxophonist, ladies and gentlemen. This is probably my, I think this is my first instrumental artist uh, on the podcast, which is great. Uh, we got my guy, Jonah Spiva. Spiva. Yes, sir. Spiva, yes! Uh-huh. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, give it up for him. Give it up for him, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, how are you today, first and foremost? Oh man, I'm doing great. I'm really excited. I'm excited for the podcast. This is gonna be I'm great. Too. I'm glad that you're excited. You being excited makes me excited, honestly. <laughs> um, so let's just jump straight into it. I got a um, I got a question. Did you start off first rapping and making and writing music, or did you like fall in love with sax first? That's a great idea. And I got to say neither. I started off on the piano. Yeah. Um, So I started off playing piano when I was young, you know, um, just trying to figure stuff out. Um, Because, you know, the piano is really a visual instrument. It's color coded, people like to say, because you have the white keys and the black keys. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's kind of easier to learn than the rest of them. So I started off there. Um, And then I moved my way on to saxophone in about the eighth grade. Um, and that's when I started with jazz. Um, and, uh, I skipped a step in the sixth grade. I started making beats. So, um, uh, I used to make beats for my friends and for people that I met on the internet too. I used to sell them sometimes, you know, as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, yeah, my life has just kind of, uh, been filled with music. Okay. So what, so what transitioned you from well from piano to producing that makes sense right but right. from producing to saxophone what was that transition what was that what was that period of time for you mm-hmm. um so like uh i didn't they weren't really related so really when i got into saxophone um i was trying to get into the school jazz band um and I go to a pretty small school, so there are not a lot of options, right? right. Um, but unfortunately, they already had a piano player, uh, actually two piano players in the band, but they needed a saxophone player. So mm-hmm. I auditioned on piano, and then the teacher was like, you know, you want to pick up sax? And I was like, you know, why not? And I actually ended up um, liking it so much that it became my kind of primary instrument. Right. You're kind of you're you're kind of known on Instagram as the sax man. Uh, that's what you, <laughs> this is what you call yourself. That's what you, right. that's what you yeah. brand yourself as. Um, so where did where did rapping come into play? Right, you played piano. You you produced your own beats. You uh you went and played saxophone. Not so many people go from playing saxophone to rapping, or playing saxophone to doing anything else besides playing saxophone. So right. what is, what's, what's this? What's this rapper? Yeah, I got you. I got you. Um, I mean, like, I, f- I found rap through, like, you know, pop culture, right? I started off, you know, when I was in, like, fifth grade or so, when Fetty Wap was popular, all them people, you know, you know, just kind of the mainstream stuff, you know. Yes. Uh, but then when I started producing, um, I kind of, you know, got to look more at kind of the culture and it's not really um I wouldn't say it's the same as the traditional kind of 
culture that you would see in person because I was doing most of my beat making online and giving people beats online. So I kind of like saw the internet culture of making beats and giving them to rappers. And, you know, I thought it was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, for a while I, I had been kind of rapping on my own beats, uh, trying to emulate the rappers that uh, I was giving my beats to. Um, and uh, that's kind of how I got into it. And then later on, um, I stumbled upon like 90s hip hop, you know, uh, like classic Tupac, Biggie, you know, uh, and I really got into them and their whole stories and their careers and stuff. And I, um, I was really inspired, especially by uh, Biggie, because he kind of, uh, they say it in this documentary that they have about him. He raps like a, a jazz drummer play. Yeah. Yeah, if that makes sense, you know, because, you know, jazz drummers, when they're soloing, um, they go like, you know, they would do an idea like, it's a, it's a very flowy right very right you flowy. can kind of yeah you can hear that rhythmic stuff in it um and it just translated over to biggie's um rapping and i just thought that was insanely cool so i i tried to learn from him and all the greats um you know when i was when i was making this album right okay so this is a it's a little vulnerable vulnerability moment right here right um I love making podcast episodes that that's it, it makes me happy um, if I'm having a bad day, but I, I have an interview, I automatically know that I'm going to have a better day after that interview, right? No matter what time of day it is, no matter what time of day the interview is, right? The interview could be at three o'clock in the morning. I know everything after three o'clock in the morning is going to be amazing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's a fear to put out episodes just because it's a piece of me leaving every time I put out an episode, right? So yeah. it's, it's it's always it's always a, a small piece of me leaving. But with you and with music, there's a bigger piece of you leaving. There's always like a a, a big chunk of you that's leaving, right? Because you put your you put yourself in in the music. Sometimes is with music is some sometimes it's hard to separate the art from the artist when the artist puts so much of them inside their music, right? right? Has there ever been a time where it was kind of like challenging for you to like create your own music or like want to put out your own music? Yeah, yeah, I think for sure that's one of my biggest issues, you know, uh, putting myself out there in that vulnerable, posi vulnerable position, you know, it. Um, I want to make lyrics that are kind of meaningful. And when you do that, when you make really meaningful lyrics, then you're, you're, you're reaching deeper into yourself um and you know getting more into that fear of uh embarrassing yourself or you know getting ridiculed um and you know that's i i find that to be true every single time i put something out mm -hmm. or even every single time i record or make something or produce something i find myself thinking about what other people would think right. and especially especially when with the rapping thing um you know, I feel like rap is really stigmatized and not given as much respect um, as an art form mm -hmm. uh, because it's a new black art and like every new black genre um, of music or any new black art form, I feel like 
has been stigmatized no matter mm-hmm. when, you know, like uh, that I feel like uh, people don't treat it with the same respect as a lot of other genres uh, that are more established and older. So that was especially hard putting out, you know, rap. Right. And I've seen on your Instagram that you are a a real adv- advocate. Like, and I use real, like, very directly, like a real advocate of, of Black lives, of Black music, of Black culture, right? Um, you, sure. su- you support us, of Black, yes, you support us. Uh, um, I, I saw your story of, like, of all the statistics that you were posting and, and how, how you were kind of using your platform to empower, right? So... Mm-hmm. Um, speak speak on that since we already kind of kind of touched on it. But just just a dab, just, just speak on what what you how you feel about that. I mean, uh, I'm a, a mixed person, so mm-hmm. I'm I consider myself a a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my mother is white. She is, was from the Soviet Union, actually, so mm-hmm. um, she escaped from there um, as a Jewish person. Wow. And um, my my father is a black man, so is my grandfather, uh, and my family on that side. So my family has, you know, both cultures have a history of being oppressed, and I feel like I've been given this position of privilege to talk on that. You know, I am I grew up in America, which is saying something. You know, uh, like there are benefits to growing up in America. There are downsides, of course you know, being black in America, but there are also benefits uh, to being American. Um, And I feel like, um, you know, I've been given that platform to speak up and uh, I should, it's my, it's my duty, you know? Right. It's it's your job. Right. As a black man, it's, it's our job to, to do that. Right. Exactly. um, Yeah. And, and intertwining, right. (laughs) Platforms. Uh, I try to use my platform the, in the most impactful way I can, even though like everything I do is catered to creatives and, and artists and people in that on that side. People who aren't that can still listen and still gain and still still learn, still absorb from these stories, these young stories, these these older stories, right? right. Um, in in what ways have you used music or are using music to kind of push the the envelope on the culture, um, more specifically black culture. Right. Um, I think really black culture is kind of my inspiration for all of my music. I do listen to some white music, right? I, I'm very inspired by Nirvana and Kurt Cobain and what they did in the 90s. Love Kurt. Uh, but at the same time, my roots are kind of like, you know, Shaka Khan uh, mm. and uh, a lot of people from Motown. I, I do uh, uh, especially love the Jackson Five and Michael Jackson himself, you know, mm. uh, Quincy Jones, less less known, but he is he is well known. He is a producer, Michael Jackson's producer. He was also a great uh, jazz producer and composer uh, is one of my main inspirations for producing. Um, and I could go on and on, you know, of course, I've already mentioned Biggie and Tupac, uh, P. Diddy, of course, uh, yeah. and Mace are two special inspirations for me. They 
inspired kind of the way I use my voice when I'm rapping, you know. Um, so it's really, I'm, I am making black art. I would categorize it as black art and it's derived from black art. And what I try to do to push the envelope is mix it all together, mix the rap, mix the jazz. Obviously I haven't even gotten into my jazz idols, but uh, I mean, if for anybody watching, uh, I would highly suggest uh, going and listening to John Coltrane and his ballads album, ballads by John Coltrane. Um, so I just draw inspiration from, you know, all black music, black art. Um, and I'm trying to combine it all into one thing, you know? Okay, question. Mm -hmm. You named a lot of artists, right? You just, right. just named a lot of black artists. Michael Jackson, uh, the, you named the whole Motown, you named Tupac, Biggie, Mace, Diddy. Um, I want to know who's your favorite uh, older generation artist? Like mine of my favorite uh, older generation artist is between two people, it's between Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson. They are, oh, yeah. fighting, they are fighting for the one and two spot currently in my heart. Um, who was it? Who was it for you? You just named some interesting names, and I'm right. really curious. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's, there are so many. Um, I think really Michael Jackson was a main one, and Quincy Jones is producer. Mm -hmm. Um kind of the stuff they did in the 80s um, uh, from Thriller and Bad. Those were, those really inspired me. Uh, and then Shaka Khan, uh, she worked with uh, the saxophone player, Michael Brecker. He's, mm -hmm. he's not black, but uh, he worked with Shaka Khan and their stuff together is just so good. Um, and I try to emulate the, the, the like, skill that they have and the um the the put togetherness like everything everything that they put out is just completely put together it's spotless it's clean you know you can't hear anything that makes you you kind of tense or like feel like it's it's not going to be a good song like every element of each song that those artists make is good um so i just i try my best to uh emulate uh, their music um, mm -hmm. the best. So Shaka Khan, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, I would say. Okay. And let's talk about like how you, how you really did that in your own music, right? So um, the, you put out two singles before the release of your right. album. You put out uh, Crowd in Your Head and Revolution. Mm -hmm. So we talked about the, uh, how hard it is to put out the music, right? Right. But now that the music is already out, how hard is it? Well, not how hard is it? What is the thought process of you as an artist when you put the music out and you want people to like receive it how you want them to receive it? Right. Yeah. So I guess um, a lot of the uh, kind of what I want people to hear um, is I want them to kind of like respect uh, people from the past more, you know, the, the people that have laid the groundwork. Um, and I want to, um, you know, bring maybe music that they haven't heard before 
into a digestible context where they're like, you know, oh shoot, this jazz might sound good. I've never liked jazz before, but this jazz might sound good, you know? Cause I feel like uh, people a lot of the time don't draw from history enough mm -hmm. um, from like the artists of the past. So I feel like I really wanna bring out the elements from the past put it in a modern context, make it digestible for the average listener and, you know, you know, have them like it. Right. You know, what's like crazy to me though. I, when I first listened to the album, right. And I listened all the way through the, the first time I listened all the way through, it was giving me like really like Tyler, the creator vibes. Like I was listening and I was like, man, like, I feel like this. I feel like Tyler can hop on every one of these songs with this guy. Like, what? Like, yeah. what is this? Did you did you produce that? Whole, did you produce the album? Like, yeah, it? produced it. I mixed it. I mastered it. Uh, uh, it's a self made album. Uh, so all the way. Yeah, it was lots of fun to do. Um, I'm gonna get into to the release of the album, right? Um, more mm -hmm. specifically, the release party. Your release party seems so lit. Like, you, like for for like no, I'm being serious. For a teenager, yeah. like your release party seemed like seemed really. The next time you release something, can I come to the release party? For sure, we're doing more concerts this summer. I'll I'll send you. I'll slide you the the addy for sure. But thank, thank, I appreciate it. Your <laughs> your release parties are like top tier star level release parties. So thank you. and. Your promotional strategy for that album, right? For Evolution, the album, it was it. It's crazy because you were doing like an old school kind of uh, kind of way of promoting the album. You were posting, uh, putting posters around the city. I was like, who's where? When does he have time? And where? Why? <laughs> like, why can't he just keep posting on his Instagram? Right. Yeah. But, Thinking about it though, like getting your face on the street, people keep seeing it, people wondering, like, what is this, right? Right. Where did you learn that? Because you weren't, because that's not something you're just born with. You have to learn that. You have to pick that up. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot from watching those documentaries about, like, you know, people in the 90s and the 80s, like how they promoted their, uh, their music. I think it, it draws in more of a real crowd. Uh, a genuine crowd that actually likes the music because if you if you uh if you're like uh promoting stuff online you know a lot of the time you'll get these kind of spammy accounts that like they may wanna you know they may like your content but they may also just want to follow you so that you follow them back and then you unfollow them later or they unfollow you later so it's like i think that if you start promoting like putting posters up for example people mm -hmm. will see the poster and if they really want to hear it then they'll click it right but if it's just in somebody's instagram feed then they're they're forced to hear it right because the sound bite is already there but the yeah. sound bite's not on the poster right right um and then the live performances you you get to know the people better you mm -hmm. know you see their face you talk to them uh there's a crowd in front of you so they they actually get to know you better and i think that builds um you know kind of more of a real audience because you are online. yes that's actually that's a good point because you are in a band where mm -hmm. 
and I've seen it, seen something where you were rapping and playing saxophone. Right. Um, one, I don't know how you can multitask like that. I would be distracted <laughs> doing one or the other. I can barely podcast without just fidgeting or messing with something. So I don't know how you rap and saxophone. But you know, that's a that's that's another story for another day. Um. <laughs> But performing with a band, performing live, right? That's a different type of feeling. Performing in front of people, that's a different type of feeling, right? You can perform, right. you can perform some songs in front of your mom, and and that and that's cool. But performing right. in front of like a group of strangers that you probably had never met before, that that really just loves the music, is that is is that scary for you? I mean, yeah, it was the first few times. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like anything, you get used to the motions and you just go through the motions each time and it gets less scary each time, I feel mm-hmm. like. Um, and yet, I think, uh, yeah, performing live each time has become more natural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say, what do you mean by, what do you mean by natural? I mean, like, you know, um, it just it I get less nervous. I'm not I'm not as nervous before a concert like now. You know, I'm I'm gonna do a concert on August 6th. I'll probably live stream it on my Instagram. No. Um and like that day I'm guessing I will not be even a quarter mm-hmm. of the way as nervous as I was for with my first performance in front of my friends on June 6th. Right. Wait, your first ever performance was on June 6th? of this year uh in front of like a mostly crowd of my own friends like mm-hmm. i've i've performed recitals before i've performed you know concerts well, like, before well like yeah but like a a, a real like a real thing with like people was it like all of your original music yeah yeah so that's that's the first time i've performed my own music and then the first time that i've performed in front of a crowd that consisted of only my friends mm-hmm. and like not parents and no no teachers and stuff it was just right my friends you know so how many so how many times have you performed since then like in that same kind of aspect um i think we have done five concerts so far so yeah we did one we did two in june two in july wait no three in july um and we're actually going to do one more in July uh, and then uh, one in August so far. OK, so you're so you're already getting the sense of of live showing, uh, performing. Um, and I, this is crazy because this is a great segue. Great segue, Eric. Eric, when you're editing this, just know that this was an amazing segue that you just did. Because let's <laughs> go straight to the live performing aspect of of being an artist right because i i not actually did have this written down or somewhere that i did want to go because as a new artist all right the pandemic kind of troubled a lot of artists mm-hmm. let me explain a lot of artists songs popped off from tiktok from social media whatever that's cool right but now you don't really know who your audience is. So you don't know where to perform. 
You don't know what venues to go to. You don't know where you're supposed to be in the lineup of festivals. You don't know how to perform because you didn't go through that training because nobody expected your song to blow up during a, during a pandemic. You, sir, get the luxury of having friends to perform in front of. You can have, you can open for people now because the world is opening back up. You have an opportunity to open for different acts now. Um, what what would you say your your audience is performing wise, right? Like, are they more rage? Are they more calm? Are they more less put in a mosh pit, right? Because not everybody's audience matches their music, but sometimes, you know, what, what, what is it? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think um, I try to make music that people can dance to. So mm-hmm. a lot of the time people are just kind of, you know, dancing, doing their own thing in the crowd. Um, I do some call and response stuff. Uh, so there's this one song called Crowding Your Head that I got. Um, and uh, I do like this call and response where the audience says crowd in your head. Mm-hmm. And then I say one of my lines. Um, and it just kind of gets them engaged and stuff and they they start dancing or whatnot mm-hmm. um so yeah it's it's kind of like it's it's not like a mosh pit i mean there was one kind of i don't i i guess i wouldn't really describe it as a mosh pit but it's like you know people are are dancing they're jumping and kind of having fun you know i feel like once i feel like the moment that an artist wins is when they perform and the crowd is singing the song for them yeah like like the song comes like a note of the song comes on the first note the crowd's like oh my god and you can just be like sing and they sing the whole entire song for you you don't even have to say a word i feel like at that moment an artist wins right Mm -hmm. What is the moment in time that Jonas Fiber will look and be like, man, I've won? In what point of your career will you say that? Yeah, I think um, my goal is to become my own favorite artist. Mm. So I want to make the music that is my favorite music um so i mean i do love the audience and i do you know uh want to make music that'll make them happy but really the turning point for me will be when i love my music more than i love anybody else's music and i and i love my music right now but you know i i love a a few other people's music better you know what do you where um when do you think that you will get to that point of you loving your music more than anybody else's music and when you and when you say love your music do you are you saying like you can listen to your music all day every day and not listen to nobody else's music that's too much I, I think so i think um uh, i i don't know when it's gonna happen i hope you know sometime when I'm in my twenties, you know, (laughs) I feel like I want it to be sometime soon enough, but uh, after I've developed a little more, um, 
but yeah, I think what it really means is, um, you know, being able to listen to it all day, not getting tired of it and just liking the sound of it more than I like the sound of any other music. All right, we are back. Um, Man, I want to thank you first and foremost for taking the time out to come on the podcast. Um, it's been an honor. This has been a great episode. I, I love I love it here. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see you live. I can't wait to get that call and response. I can't wait to get that quote-unquote wash pit. Um, next release, I'm coming to the release party for sure. Um, but like every other artist that comes in the Arsenal podcast, I have to get your dead or alive. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's watching the Arsenal podcast. Hello. I am your host, your beautiful, wonderful, melanated host, Eric Curry III. And Dead or Alive is a segment on the podcast where the artist on the podcast gets to choose uh, some other artists that they would like to work with that is dead or alive. Now, you can choose one artist. You can choose 100 artists. Please don't choose 100 artists because I still have to edit this podcast. But yeah, it's on you, dead or alive. For sure. Anybody dead or alive. All right. So uh, for sure. I think uh, I would first want to work with Michael Brecker. Mm. Tenor saxophone beast, amazing. I would recommend you go search up on YouTube, Michael Brecker, some skunk funk live in Barcelona. It's one of my favorite recordings ever. He's awesome. So Michael Brecker, number one. Number two, I'd say I'd want to work with um, kind of an unknown artist. His name is Bobby Enriquez. He's a piano player. He goes crazy on the keys. He, he like does everything from like, he literally, you know, karate chops and uh, punches the keys. He goes that far. So he's nicknamed the wild man. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. He's got some great stuff. Uh, next, I would work with uh, Mace, Biggie, uh, uh, Sean Combs, AKA P Diddy. Yes. and uh tupac so mm-hmm. uh th- those are some rappers slash producers love them 90s icons two of them dead two of them alive yeah um wish all of them were alive though yeah uh i guess then shaka khan mm-hmm. i'll work with and avril lavigne adam lavigne Avro, Avro. So the early two thousands. Yeah, she was an early. She is an early two thousands icon. She did like punk rock music. Mm. Um, I think she's Canadian, but you know I love her hits. They're awesome. So I would I would totally work with her. I thought you said Adam, but Avro <laughs> for a bigger curveball. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the podcast host has some homework to do. Thank you, Jonah, for giving me some homework. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Eric. This has been amazing. Uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Thank you, man. Um, but before you get off, you, I'm going to put you in a scenario. You are in this, this big, big brother seat. This is you at the point where you love your own music, right? You're at that point of your career right now. And there's somebody that's in your same place right now that's, that's struggling there. They, they can't find their own sound. They don't know what to do. They they might they might have been doing, having the same struggles that you were having when you uh, were first starting out, right? What is some advice that you will give that younger artist right now? Hmm. 
Yeah, I think I would say don't be afraid of me, right? So don't be afraid of my judgment since I'm the big brother figure, right? Uh, I don't want my past self to be afraid of what my future self will think of me. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, um, something I struggle with right now, right? I don't, I don't want me in 10 years to look back on me right now and be like, oh man, your music sucked. Right. I just want to be able to freely make music. So that's, that's my biggest fear. My, my biggest uh, judge is my future self. And I want my future self to say, nah, I'm not your biggest judge. Do what you want. Don't be afraid of me. Right. Man, that's deep. <laughs> I hope y'all took down with a grain of salt. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jonah, for coming on to the Unsplot Podcast. It's been an honor uh, to have you here. And thank yeah. everybody that's watching the Unsplot Podcast for watching the Unsplot Podcast, man. Uh, I have yeah. been your host, Eric Curry III. Uh, all the Jonah's stuff will be linked in the description, of every description. He's dope. Please check him out. Please check out his album, um, but you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Curry the Third. You can follow the podcast at Arts Block Podcast. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure you like, make sure you comment, make sure you subscribe, make sure you turn on post notifications so you can be notified every time we post a podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you give me a five star and a review. If you're listening anywhere else, shout out to you. Remember that artists never die. Is there anything you want to say before you get off the podcast? Absolutely. Thank you so much to everybody watching, listening, and thank you, Eric. Thank you so much. Man, no problem, man. And I'll see y'all when I see y'all. Peace.